G'day and welcome to the Women's Footy Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Andre, and today I'm answering a listener question about what are the benefits of HIIT workouts compared to regular workouts, specifically for a footballer. Now, let me describe, first of all, what a HIIT workout is. So HIIT, the abbreviation for that is H-I-I-T, which stands for High Intensity Interval Training. So HIIT training is really good for you because it can get aerobic benefits really quickly and it can also build strength so there are different components of fitness one being strength another being power another being speed you've got flexibility coordination balance muscular endurance and aerobic endurance so hit workouts are really good for building aerobic endurance as well as lactate tolerance so that's more moving into your anaerobic anaerobic system anaerobic meaning that you're not using oxygen for energy to energize your body to function aerobic meaning you are using oxygen there is two different types of anaerobic so you've got anaerobic atp which is going to be where you're primarily using atp adenosine triphosphate as an energy source which is typically high bouts high intensity bouts of exercise lasting about 10 to 30 seconds in duration and then you've got the anaerobic glycolytic system which is where you're using the lactate system and you have the byproduct of um, lactic acid. So it eventually is a limiting factor. And then you need to kick into the aerobic system, which is where you start to use oxygen. And that's where it's any type of exercise beyond the two minutes. So with that in mind, the HIIT training is going to help you with your aerobic endurance, as I started alluding to, your lactic tolerance, as well as building some strength, depending on what you are doing. So HIIT training is actually really beneficial. However, when it comes to a periodized program, what I really recommend is something which is specific to football. You can include HIIT sessions in there. However, they are not necessary. You're going to be getting some HIIT training in the football-specific training that you're going to be doing as well as in some of the sessions now here's what i recommend for you to do if you are training for football now in our football program our footy fit program we have a 12-month periodized program which we call our development program which is typically aimed at anyone with less than three years experience in the gym lifting weights and who has and or has some form of physical incompetence so if you break all human movement down you come up with seven fundamental movements they are number one the brace which is foundational to the other six then you've got pushing pulling which are upper body you've got rotating and then you've got the three lower body ones being squatting lunging and hinging so they are your seven fundamental movements bracing rotating pushing pulling squatting lunging hinging so if you are not fully competent throughout those seven movements, then we recommend that you go into our development program or if you've got less than about three years experience in the gym. I don't like to use timeframes in the gym as a uh, as a measure of whether you go one or the other. It's more about competence. So generally though, what I see is someone with a few years of experience in the gym, if they've been um, inducted into a gym effectively, then they are generally going to be able to go into our next program, which is our mature program. And with our mature program, it's a 12-month periodized program for anyone who's got more than three years experience in the gym, is confident and competent with lifting weights and competent in those seven fundamental movements. So in our development program, we have gym sessions three days a week. So whether you're in pre-season or in-season, we are going to be doing one full body uh, gym workout, one lower body workout, and one upper body workout. Then in our mature uh, program, 
it's going to change a little bit. It becomes a little bit more nuanced. So in our pre-season, we are going to be doing a lower body anterior focus workout, a lower body posterior focus workout, anterior meaning front of the body, posterior meaning back of the body, and a upper body anterior focused workout and upper body posterior focused workout. So they are the four gym sessions in the preseason. It shifts a little into the in season and it then becomes about an accessory, uh, sorry, a lower body accessory workout, a lower body, sorry, the next day is a upper body compound lift workout. The next day, a lower body compound workout. And then the next day, a upper body accessory workout. So we've got two compound workouts and two accessory workouts or two upper body, two lower body. So a upper body compound and accessory workout and a lower body compound and accessory workout. And we split them up. Compound meaning that's your big lifts, for example, your squats and your deadlifts and accessory being things like your single leg isometric holds. Uh, for example, uh, for the upper body, it might be things like lateral raises for the deltoids, which are in the upper upper arm for the shoulder. So that is how the strength programs are broken up in the development program versus the mature program and from preseason into in season. So strength is just one component. However, we also have conditioning. So with our conditioning, we typically, what we'll do is have Monday being speed and speed should be in the program every week of the year from that, from week one of preseason through to grand final week, you should have speed in your program and you should be hitting at about 90% or more pretty much every single week. And it's important that you build that up so that you build the tolerance to be able to do so. One of the best hamstring exercise, exercise strengthening exercises, in fact, is sprinting over 90% or over 95%. And that is better, almost twice as good in some parts of the hamstring. The hamstring is made up of three different muscles, particularly the biceps femoris is twice as good as the next best hamstring exercise, which is the Nordics. And there's different variations of the Nordics. So sprinting is really effective for strengthening as well as the conditioning components. So you should have speed in the program every single week. And in our 40 fit program, whether it's the development or the mature program, whether it's pre-season or in-season, we have speed in there once a week. And it, we progress it through different distances, different intensities. We look at acceleration and we look at top and speed. And that is in that program, usually on a Monday. We also have a separate session dedicated to agility, another session dedicated to speed endurance, and another session dedicated to swimming, and then a session dedicated to aerobic endurance. So I've already talked about our speed session. Our agility session is going to build people up, our players up, uh, systematically looking at different changes in direction. So for example, you might be looking at initially just decelerating and accelerating. Then we might look at being able to turn direction and only look at turning 45 degrees. Then we might look at going 90 degrees, 135 degrees, 180 degrees, and so on in both directions. So there's different elements to agility that you're going to have in there. The difference between agility and change of direction is that Change of direction is just simply you changing direction without any stimulus leading to that. So you just go, the coach says, or you have a program that says, I want you to run up to here and then turn around to that cone and run to here. Agility is where there is a reactive element. So it might be a training partner, a coach, or someone that is going to get you to react to something. So for example, we're doing a wide drill, you run up 10 meters, 
and then you need to turn either 45 degrees to the left or the right and you might have a coach standing 20 meters out in front of you and before you get to that cone at the base of the y the v part to the y the coach is going to point or call out a direction or throw a ball, kick a ball, whatever it might be to get you to react and turn in one direction. And that's a very simple version of that, but that is starting to move into agility. Other examples of agility include mirroring uh, as well as getting players to, you know, go and touch cones in a, inside a square, say a three by three size square. And then the coach is pointing to, you know, up, down, left or right to which cone you're running to. So you've got, in the agility session, change of direction and agility, as well as some quick feet as part of the warm up, and the ladder ladder drills, cone drills like that are really good for that quick feet type stuff. Of course, including um, some speed drills into those two days of speed and the agility. The speed endurance is typically going to be in preseason a little bit longer. It's based more on efforts, which is more about running for time, and then in season goes into more running for distance. But in that, you are going to in a in a preseason, going to be looking at just running. Then as we get into the season, you're going to be looking at doing some shorter, sharper stuff, some more lactic type work. It might be 400s, 300s, 200s, a combination of both. One of my favorite sessions, for example, is like a 300 with 450s in there. So it might be 450s with a very limited rest, say 15 seconds, straight into a 300. Or it might be the other way around, 300 limited rest, it might be 30 seconds, straight into 450s which are 15 second recovery, for example. Another one might be 400 meters broken up, broken up. So you do 200 short rest for 30 seconds, allow that lactic to build up while you're resting and then go again. It also makes the intensity of that second 200 faster, but you've also got a little bit more lactic in the body that you're trying to run through. You can do that with 300s and do 150, 150 or anything. So there's a whole different range of different workouts, which I've put together and learned over my time and done it myself from my background in athletics. Then from there, our I'm just going to go into aerobic session. Our aerobic session typically in preseason just a longer run, and that progressively builds up and comes back down. That's always going to be highly effective for just getting that aerobic tolerance to be able to run um, and continue to endure. And in our pool session, so this is where we're probably a little bit different to most strength and conditioning coaches, where one of the best things that you can do for your aerobic endurance, as well as your strength, and uh, whether it's you know shoulder strength, core strength, uh, core strength being throughout the entire body, not just the abs and the core trunk area, but the core strength through the shoulders and hips and all that sort of thing. Uh, you are going to, as well as being in the pool, taking the weight off your body. So you're not getting that pounding, which you're going to be getting in so many of the other sessions, the speed, agility, the speed endurance and the aerobic running. So you're getting off your feet and allowing your body to not, allowing your body, your bones and joints to rest a little bit, but still get the muscular benefits. But more importantly, the cardiovascular benefits being the heart and lungs by doing the swimming. So swimming is great because being in the water, you are being compressed by the water. So this is what's happening to your body when you are doing swimming training. Your body is in water. Normally we live in space and we've got air around us. There is air pressure on us. The air pressure is pushing against us, but we live in it and we're used to it. It's also very minimal. When you're in water, there's much more. The deeper, there's much more pressure. The deeper you go, the more pressure. So if you're vertical in the water, there's more pressure on your feet than what there are that is on your upper body up and around your chest. But if you're horizontal in the water, on the top of the water, but in the water, like you would be with freestyle, there's going to be an even spread of this pressure around your body. The water is pressing in on your body and your body has to push against that water to not be crushed. And so what happens is the space in and around the lungs 
which is where the oxygen diffuses from the lungs into the bloodstream through the blood capillary wall and vice versa, the carbon dioxide from the bloodstream into the lungs through the blood capillary wall becomes squashed and there's less space in there. So that reduced space means that the process of oxygen and carbon dioxide diffusing through that blood capillary wall must become more efficient in order to work in that lesser space. So swimming is really, really effective for building aerobic endurance because your body is getting better at that process of oxygen and carbon dioxide diffusing across that blood capillary wall. In addition to that, you can do hypoxic training, which is where you extend out your breathing. So I suggest with your swimming, you're breathing every three strokes. I like the odd number because it keeps things even turning to both sides and it keeps that nice symmetry in terms of your ability to rotate, particularly through your trunk and thoracic spine in particular. You can breathe every even stroke if you would like, but I try to encourage people to learn to breathe bilaterally, which means breathing on both sides to keep that rotation happening throughout the entire body and keep that symmetry in the body. And so breathing every three strokes, you are going to get this swimming benefit. However, extending out the time between breaths means that you're going, you're going to allow more oxygen to get into the muscles from the bloodstream and so you're able to feed more of the body the working muscles more efficiently because you're allowing more oxygen to stay in the body and get processed without being breathed back out again quickly the other thing to that is that you are teaching your body to function more effectively without having more oxygen coming in. So you're making better use of the oxygen that you're breathing on every single breath. So you become more efficient at using the oxygen on every breath. So hypoxic breathing is highly beneficial and I absolutely love using it with all of our footballers. Anyone in fact, who is an aerobic athlete and football is aerobic, it needs, it's a bit of everything. It's amazing because I love it for that. It's a bit of everything. It's a bit of speed. It's a bit of agility. It's a bit of the repeat efforts. Uh, you know, the lactic type tolerance, it's everything. So, but ultimately it's an aerobic sport. It goes for two hours in total. And so you need to be able to be aerobically fit and being aerobically fit is going to help you with all of those other workouts that I've just mentioned right through down to the speed sessions, because you're going to be able to get through them more easily cardiovascular wise. So swimming is in there and we usually include swimming twice a week. If people can't swim, we'll skip it out. But I'd like to at least have swimming in there at least once a week. And there's different things you can do if you can't swim in the water. There might be some uh, cycling. There might be some deep water running. There might be some kicking against the wall. There's different uh, drills that we use in the pool, which have a really good benefit, even if you're not swimming. And we often use these in addition to swimming. So I've just gone through and listed all of the stuff that we have in our 40 fit program from our development 12 month periodized program through to our mature 12 month periodized program what we include in pre-season, what we include in in-season, what we include in the strength sessions, what we include in the conditioning sessions. And this is all in addition to what you are probably already doing when you are training with a club. So you probably have two days a week, at least on top of this with a club. You can incorporate this in, you could skip it out. It depends on where you're at. It all has to become slightly individualized somewhat to where you are and what you're doing with your club, because you are obviously going to go and join a team at some point and you are going to be training with a team. So you need to incorporate what they are doing. So if you are doing all of this, there is absolutely no reason why you need to go off and do an extra hit session. In terms of what a hit session is, 
essentially what you are getting with the pool session, with those speed endurance sessions at certain times of the year, with those speed and agility sessions, you are getting HIIT workouts in there. HIIT workouts are simply you're raising your heart rate to a point where you can't maintain it and then you were then dropping it back and having short rest intervals. And then you raise your heart rate again, and then you drop it down. That is what you are doing in interval training, where you are doing your speed, your agility, or your speed endurance sessions. So there's no need why you, there's no reason why you need to go off and do extra hit sessions. However, in saying that, if you want to go and do hit sessions because you just really like them, you're really into fitness, or your friends are doing it and you want to join them you can by all means go and do a hit session you can go and join a hit class or do your own somewhere and do those hit sessions however if you are doing that you need to make sure that you are not overloading yourself with work so what i always like to include in every single workout that we do in our footy fit program is a five part questionnaire and that question that questionnaire includes these five questions, which are how is, has your sleep quality been for the past three nights? How motivated are you to train today? How fatigued are you? How would you rate your or how would you describe your current stress levels? And how do you rate your current soreness? So these five questions help us to keep on track of where people are at with their workload. So if we start to see these numbers go up on the 10 point scale, we can we can see that visually and we can make adjustments and go, hey, we need to bring some stuff back here. We're overloading this athlete a little bit too much. So we want to try and push it to a point where we're really at the peak and then stay within that. We don't want to be overdoing it because as soon as we start to go overload, then what we are going to end up with is either an injury or an illness. And so if you look at something called uh, TSR, training stress, stress response, if you look at people who like, people who have been injured on a graph, often what you'll see is that the workload has been increasing and then there's been a big jump and that always precedes an illness or an injury. So you can generally predict that if there has been an injury, like a soft tissue injury, say a hamstring tear, for example, or there's been an illness where someone's got sick and it might just simply be you know, unlucky like COVID, but it could be something that they've picked up because their immune system has been suppressed because they have been working so hard so usually there's a spike in workload which jumped up more than the normal sort of average rate that you would expect to see it a nice steady curve it jumps up and then all of a sudden you end up getting sick and that's where then the performance drops down and it comes down on the graph so it's really important to track your progress as I've just alluded to, we like to do this in a five-part questionnaire before every single session strength and conditioning I also like to get athletes to rate their perceived level of exertion. So this is on an RPE scale. So rate of perceived exertion on a level of zero to 10. One is you're sitting there. I always like to say sitting there watching Netflix, eating popcorn, chilling out. Life is good. That's a one. 10 is call me an ambulance. I can't do one more rep, whether that's one more rep of bench press or one more rep of this 20 meter sprint. So you are, or you can't go any faster. So that is a limiting factor scale. Generally, you'll be at about five by the time you finish warming up. And then you then go into six being hard, seven being very hard, eight being very, very hard, nine being extremely hard and 10 being max effort. And so this RPE scale helps us to measure 
where you're at for your session. If you times that number by the duration of the session in minutes, then you will come up with a figure. So for example, if someone rates a session as a seven and that session went for 60 minutes, you would do seven times 60. My math is not real good off the top of my head. I think it's 420. And so you would then put 420 onto a graph and see that they are at that point. The next session might be an eight and it also went for 60 minutes. So we now do eight times 60, so 480. So we've gone from 420 to 480. You can see how you can get these uh, values on a graph now and you can then determine how someone is tracking. You don't want someone to be going up too fast. You also don't want it to be going down and you don't want it to be steady either. You don't want it to be plateauing. So going up nice and slowly and then having little rest points in there where it comes down a fraction and then comes back up almost like stairs is going to be perfect. If you're doing that and you see that there's an injury, I can almost guarantee that you'll see that there's been a spike or that curve has gone up too fast um, right before that injury where that comes down. So the last one is heart rate. And measuring heart rate when you first wake up is the best way to get your resting heart rate because that is when you have not been doing anything for several hours. So let's just say it's a, it might be 40, 50, it might be at 60, whatever it is, let's just say 60 for simplicity's sake. So when you wake up, if you check your heart rate first thing when you wake up and it's at 60, write that down. The next day, record it again, it's at 60. The next day, it's at 60 again. If the heart rate starts to come up at resting and it starts to spike, that is another sure sign that you are starting to overload your body and doing too much and you need to drop back your load or else you are going to end up either injured or sick. So generally, if it's going up and it goes 61, 62, 63, that's probably once it gets you know, if it's going up consistently over a week, it's probably a good sign by the end of that week to maybe drop it back a touch the next week. If it spikes really quick, then I would probably have a slightly easier day that day and just check it the next day to see where it's at. But if it's spiking, then you would really need to make sure you look at reducing your load. But that's a really quick and easy way without having to do any graphs. I mean, you could graph it, of course, but it's a very quick and easy way to kind of get an idea of what your of where your resting heart rate is on a daily basis. So you've got that five-part question before every single strength and conditioning workout. You've got the RPE scale and then times that by the session duration in minutes if you wanted to track it on a graph. And then you've got the simple one of resting heart rate first thing when you wake up. So there is absolutely no reason why you can't go and do hit sessions, but I would track where you're at by heart rate at bare minimum to see if it's going up and it's starting to increase too quickly or it's spiking. And if it is, drop it back. No reason why you can't do uh, hit sessions. I don't think you personally, I personally don't think you need it. If you are doing all of our 40 fit program with all of those strength sessions in there and all of those conditioning sessions in there, plus your club training, most likely twice a week, probably an hour and a half to two hours, maybe only an hour, but somewhere between one and two hours per week times by two times. So if you're doing a two hour session times by two times a week, that's four hours a week of training. It's not a lot. You do need to be doing a lot extra than the four hours a week of training you're getting with club training. There's 168 hours in a week. So what are you doing with the other 164? A third of that should be dedicated to sleeping. There's probably another whole big section of that, probably a third dedicated to 
to work. And then there's a third dedicated to whatever you want to do with it. So there's going to be downtime, rest time, hobbies, things you like to do and training. So make the most of that time with doing something that's specific to helping you reach your goals of maximizing your performance for football. So in short, no reason why you can't do hit sessions to help you with your training compared to regular sessions. However, if you're following our 40 fit program, I personally don't think that you need it. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, answer to this listener question. And if you've got a question that you would like to ask, please head on over to Instagram, look me up Jacob underscore Andre and send me a DM over there and ask what you would like to know. And I'll answer this either in person, uh, in text, or I will answer it in more detail on one of the podcast episodes. We're going to be doing these twice a month from now on. Thank you very much for joining me and I'll see you next week.